guess who's back? That's a that's a song, right? Yeah, Sugar Ray. Uh, Darth is back. <laughs> oh yeah, yes, yes. The triumphant return. Did you not know that's what I was talking about? No. What is back again? Um. Oh, I remember now. It, it's the the Backstreet Boys song, right? Like, guess who's back? Back again. I Where'd they, they go? go? I, I don't know. They maybe they took a break or something. I don't. They, were, I don't they, they were in hibernation. So. <laughs> So yeah, Darth is back. I'm I'm still off Twitter for the most part, but you did the Lord's work, and and you the minute it came out, mm-hmm. I think you you your response time was like within 15 minutes of, oh, of when he tweeted, which was very very kind of you, and you're very on the ball. Um, yeah, but he's back, and and uh, just just the right time. We've missed him dearly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's never really a right time for him to come back because there's never a right time for him to leave, but. But it's a, it's a thankless job, and the internet's a cesspool. So, it, it we're, we have to be we have to take what we can get. Did you notice that he also he's very consistent with when he does come back? He really does sort of ease back into it, mm-hmm. where his posts have been steadily ramping up over the past few days. Well, yeah, he does his usual uh, like waking uh, like cat or rabbit or what is it like waking up emoji? Uh, like what year is it? And then he goes back to bed, and then I think he did the same thing last year of uh, where all the dogs at. So it's pretty good, mm-hmm. but no. But he, he's he's good on the, um, yeah, uh, building up steam and, and kind of yeah, getting get back <clears throat> back to the swing of things. Yes, it's a good guy, very good. Um, just like the dogs. Um, yeah, they're they're all they're all very good. I do appreciate that. Um, and that's the one thing I will say. Twitter is is everything. Everything is bad about Twitter, but and and uh, the web app is terrible, and so so many things are terrible. But it does have a good feature that I think I've talked about before, which is like the in case you missed it or like the while you were gone. So it surfaces some of the better stuff. And since I only check Twitter like once or twice a day, um, it does find the good stuff. So when Darth came back, you got the thing of dog rates saying uh, uh, that all the dogs are still good, which it's it's that kind of stuff that's that's worthwhile. And, that, and that's why that company is worth however much it's worth. Yeah, but if you're something like when someone like me who never really leaves Twitter, then the in case you missed it, it's not really relevant. Ooh, how 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 do you even <laughs> do you, does it not stress you out or does it not like do you ever kind of just like find yourself in tweetbot and just think like what am i doing not trying to make you like uh feel shame or something but do you feel that it's still a net positive yeah i do yeah because i feel like i follow the right people hmm in tweetbot do you do any keyword filtering or muting, or do you just keep it vanilla? I I keep it vanilla. The only thing I do is block retweets from certain users. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and I, who, I, otherwise, I don't um, do any filtering. Okay, that, that's that's keeping it uh, true to yeah, true to the artist vision. That's right, pretty good. Um. So yeah. So he's back. Uh. It it. It, it's good i wish he was active on instagram he does have an instagram but he, he hasn't used it in a couple of years and it was just a, pic- a bunch of pictures of potatoes <laughs> that checks out yeah um before we jump right into follow-up one thing that kind of just passed me by uh both literally and uh uh figuratively uh was this whole spacex thing um so can you can you please explain what Falcon Heavy is and how it's legal to have a car floating around a planet or I uh, would explain many things to me please. So 
Well, I can explain some of it, but not definitely not all of it. So the, the Falcon Heavy is SpaceX's sort of next generation rocket. So this is the one that they intend on using for eventually missions to Mars. And actually, that's this first test flight, uh, the rocket, I mean, other than the, the Tesla car, which we can talk about in a minute. Uh, was otherwise <clears throat> empty and just a, again a, a test flight, but it is on its way to Mars, and this is the the rocket that they plan on on using for all future Mars flights. So, and quick it's, point of clarification: sure. that that is their whole thing, which is that their equipment is supposed to be reusable, whereas with NASA, it was limited reuse, if almost nothing. Uh, I mean, with NASA, right? With with the, I mean, I guess with the the space shuttle, the space shuttles were obviously reusable, but. The, the rockets that they actually were on were, were, of course, not. And so one of the challenges with the Falcon Heavy is that whereas SpaceX's previous rockets were just a single booster, the Falcon Heavy had three, and they attempted to land all three back on Earth, and they, they got two of the three. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's, it's a, it was a really neat thing to watch live because... Any, I mean, I, who knows? Part of this could just be sort of the marketing around it, but there really was an aura of, and this came directly from Elon Musk, of we're not 100% sure that this is actually going to work. Um, so, um, you know, there it, it really was just this moment of, like, anything could happen. And again, other than the, the center, center booster not landing on the drone ship that it was supposed to, uh, it was otherwise a, a completely successful launch. Do you... So what is the deal with the car? So that was the part that I knew about, but apparently didn't know the entire story. So I knew that they were going to have one of Musk's... Uh, I guess I think it was like his original Roadster. They were going to put inside of a capsule attached to the front of the rocket... And I was under the impression that it was just going to remain in the capsule and they were going to send it to Mars just, just because they could. But what they did instead was they actually put it inside of a capsule where once the rocket got into orbit, the, the outside of the capsule blew away. And so the car was just sitting out in space at the front of this rocket. And after some period of time orbiting the Earth, the the car was ejected from the rocket. And so the car is literally just <laughs> floating in space now, which I, I had, I did not realize that that was the plan. I, again, I assumed that the car was staying with the rocket on its way to orbit around Mars, but the, the car is just floating in space. And it also was supposed to head towards Mars, but in one of the maneuvers that they did, um, evidently they overshot their trajectory a little bit. And so now the car is headed towards, um, the asteroid belt. <laughs> so, um, so I, I have another clarifying, <clears throat> a, a dumb, a, a layman's question. How, like, how is it legal? And I understand legal is a very weird term when you're talking about, uh, the, the universe or what, what, what do you call outside of earth? Planetary solar? Like is there a term? Um, uh, you're 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 stretching my <laughs> my knowledge of of space. So if you send something into space, what is it called? Okay. Well, I guess my question is how how do you, how is it legal, or how do you, how do you just decide you're, I'm gonna sp I'm gonna send garbage into space? <laughs> so, like like so if you're the... gonna send a two two ton car as a publicity, like that just seems so weird to me. 
So they, and actually SpaceX thanked the FAA specifically on the stream for the permits for both launching the rocket and landing the boosters. In terms of permits around launching objects into space and either allowing them to continue out into space or having them go around Earth's orbit, I'm not sure how that works. Hmm. All right, it, well. it, it is interesting, though, because... <laughs> so there, so one, one of NASA's satellites, the one that had been orbiting around Saturn for many years, which recently just went out of um, commission and they uh, ended up crashing it into just the center of Saturn. Um, and the reason they did that was because they didn't want it to run out of power and then just aimlessly float into space and potentially run into one of Saturn's moon or moons or some other um, space object, because then potentially we could contaminate uh, said moon or um, other terrestrial body, I guess. Is Saturn not a space object? Well, I, I guess, I mean, Saturn being a gas planet, right? I guess it, the, the, it, the, the, the satellite sort of just gets compressed in the inside of the pressure of, of Saturn. And, and, and presumably, we don't think that there's any life on Saturn where there could potentially be life on one of Saturn's nearby moons or other objects around Saturn. So we didn't want to contaminate any of those. But so now, okay, that's the, that, but now, now we thank just you. that was actually very well explained. I had no idea it was a gas yeah, planet. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yes, yes. Was um, that was is that very common knowledge? Very, very, very much so. Yeah. Oh, okay. And but so but so now, now we just have this this car that's just <laughs> that's just floating out there in space, um, which is uh, just very odd. But it, the the whole thing was incredibly cool i i i just put the replay of the launch in the notes i recommend people who have not watched it to watch it the initial launch itself is super neat the moment where the car ends out up out in space is cool then I mean, they actually have cameras mounted on the car um, and of course they had put this uh test dummy inside of the car who was wearing one of spacex's new space suits so that's kind of funny um and then the highlight, of course, was watching two of the boosters land back on Earth side by side at Cape Canaveral. They landed what looked like it couldn't have been more than a couple hundred yards from each other, and they touched down within about five seconds of one another. Uh, and that, that was really, really cool. Again, unfortunately, the, the third booster, which landed out at sea, did not make it, but but watching the two boosters, which did successfully land, was a a super neat moment. And it's really a testament to how far SpaceX has come, because, of course, it took them many, many, many attempts just to land a single booster back on Earth. And they've since become pretty successful at that. But now to have two land simultaneously is, again, a, a huge, huge leap forward. So... Follow-up question: Did you were were you a space person as a kid? I very much so. I had a telescope and was super fascinated by the stars and planets. Yeah, very very much so. More more so than I am now. So, does it disappoint you, or or how do you feel about it? Because I I guess this is my point of why I I guess I haven't cared about this whole what's what's the one that um Bezos has. Uh, Blue Mercury, I believe, is the name of that company. 
uh, something blue. A blue origin? Blue origin, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like, so this whole privatized space thing, I, I just feel is less interesting. And I and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm being like too pessimistic about it, but like, I don't I just feel like this is something that governments should be doing. Do you think there's anything lost in the fact that for funding reasons and a, n- a number of other reasons, like this isn't NASA doing it? And even though it's a U.S. company, this doesn't really seem like a U.S. achievement. Is that totally off base? Not totally off base, although I don't really agree with it. I, I, I do very much think that it's an American achievement. This is a, an American-based company um, with many, many American-based workers and engineers. So I, I, I mean, I, again, I see what you're saying, but I, I would push back on that a little bit. I mean, I, I guess my whole take on the private space race now is... It's it's disappointing that it's come to this. It it is a shame that you know post Cold War we've really taken our eyes off of space exploration, which which I do think is an incredibly important long term endeavor that we should still be thinking about. But because of budget cuts at NASA and just a general lack of enthusiasm in the public around space travel and space exploration, there's become this void that's needed to be filled. And I mean, I'm, I'm glad it's happened. I, it's, it's a bummer it's come to this, but having companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin is a heck of a lot better than just literally there being no progress in this space. No, no pun intended. Another weird question. Is there any nationalism, I know it's a really weird term these days, around SpaceX? Like do you, the people who are excited about it do they do they feel or identify that it's American? I I don't I guess I can't really answer that. I haven't read or seen much that's looked at it that way. Got it. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, it's weird to see everything through a kind of a weird lens these days. Okay, well it's pretty cool. It kind of yeah, mostly yeah. That's really neat. I saw that um, for Jason Snell's. Uh, space podcast that he does on relay with Stephen hackett uh they did like a youtube skype live stream thing so perhaps that actually might be something that i should go watch yeah i've actually thought about um watching that as well it'd be interesting and the whole to thing see you said it's only were. like 30 minutes right uh less than i mean the the time from launch to the time where the three boosters return to earth is only about five to seven minutes Jeez, how long does it take to get from uh, what is this called Earth to Mars? Well, I mean, it depends on the time of launch and how close Earth and Mars are together. But um, some some number of months. Oh wait, then then I guess I'm confused on the mission. So the the rocket is um, going to. Mars and is going to go in orbit around Mars. Got it. So the, the where does the car exist? So the car was also supposed to be headed in the general direction of Mars, although it was going to basically just fly past Mars. But it's now um, sort of, I think, headed like in between Mars and Saturn and is headed towards the asteroid belt. Okay. That makes way more sense because I assumed you couldn't get to Mars uh, in 
in 30 minutes. Okay, great. Oh, wait. No, no, no. <laughs> when they, you said like the whole thing's 30 minutes, I'm like, so I, I must be totally missing something. So the sequence of events were the the rocket was put up into orbit around Earth with the car attached to it. The The car and rocket then did it orbits around Earth for, I think, about six hours or so. And then... They did some type of maneuver, and this was actually a demonstration for something that I guess the Air Force has been interested in SpaceX helping them out with, where it did some type of special maneuver to then get itself out of orbit around Earth. And it was at that time where the rocket angled itself towards Mars, and that's what the car was supposed to do as well when it, when it was released from the rocket, but, but ended up not quite being on the right path. Got it. Well, thank you. I promise I went to I went to school. <laughs> um, geez, and I'm sure but, I'm not explaining all of that entirely correctly, but no, that know, was pretty spaces is, or that that was that was understandable. Space okay. is hard, as they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Extraterrestrial is that the term? Extraterrestrial, maybe. So one thing, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> um. The so one thing that I and th this is maybe where I'm totally showing my naive view of space, but the thing that I found most shocking about the car just all of a sudden being out in space was I kind of just assumed that it would be like crushed or that it would just basically like freeze, like the like the like the windshield would freeze and just explode or something like I didn't I didn't realize that the car could just be out in space. Well, isn't, yeah, isn't there some pressurization difference? That's like, that... that, yeah, exactly. So like, that, I know like, space gets cold, but yeah, yeah. Like, I thought like I thought... The, the like the dummy the dummy was in SpaceX's spacesuit, so it made sense to me because this was also the, the the Roadster, which is out there, is a convertible. So, but like, so like, it made sense to me that the dummy was okay because it was in the spacesuit. But like the car itself, like I was thinking about the windshield, I was thinking about the tires, I was thinking about like all this stuff that like just doesn't really seem like it would be able to survive space. But they had a live stream uh, from the car for four or five hours after it was out in orbit, and the car looked, you know, totally fine. So I don't. I don't know if they I don't know if they did something like special to it um or if yeah I, I don't know it's kind of a <laughs> kind of a weird uh the whole yeah, the, the kind of a weird thing the whole thing was just kind of like something out of a movie Mhm mm Mhm mm like the Cloverfield something 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 <laughs> Nice is that a is that a segue <laughs> It isn't cuz I don't know what that is and we we can talk about that uh, well, actually, we can throw that. In, let, let's let's mosey on over to follow up. Um, okay. Actually, let, that's that's vaguely related. We we generally we occasionally talk about Netflix. Hey, let's pretend that's follow up. <laughs> apparently, I didn't watch the Super Bowl and I didn't watch this movie, so I have no idea about any of this. Uh, but apparently, there was a movie that was, as as far as I understand from Upgrade, is that there was a movie that nobody really liked in Hollywood and was sold to Netflix and was teased on a ad during the Super Bowl and was available like thirty minutes later or something. Yeah, so the, the story here is that, <clears throat> and God, this was like 10 years ago now, I think, um, uh, Paramount released this movie called Cloverfield, and it was a, basically just like a monster kind of movie, like almost like a Godzilla type of movie that J.J. Abrams put out. 
And the whole appeal around the movie was that basically nothing was known about it prior to it being released. There were, of course, a couple of teaser trailers and things, but nobody really knew what the movie was about, like where the monster was from. And then, of course, like disappointingly, the movie came out and like didn't really answer any questions. And so since then, there this is now the second film that's come out where there's there's been sort of like filling in some of the blanks that the first movie left out there but sort of not really still but so anytime jj abrams is working on a movie where not much is known about it people get get really excited and so the the this cloverfield paradox movie which i think had a a working title called the god, god particle or something had been in development but again nobody knew that it was related to cloverfield because paramount had been keeping that part under wraps evidently paramount had some new management come in and as part of that process looked at future films coming out looked at this cloverfield spinoff film and said yeah we don't really know if we want to put our marketing dollars behind this like we don't we're not really sure we believe in it so they shopped it around netflix picked it up and i think did something that's way way more interesting than the movie itself which by all accounts is not very good which is they <laughs> put out a teaser trailer for it sometime around the second quarter of the game i think and that trailer did two things one is it announced that netflix was all of a sudden distributing this movie which nobody had previously known and two they they literally used the line at the bottom that said coming very soon and you were kind of left thinking well huh like what does what does that mean and then sure enough right when the game was about to end they ran another commercial announcing that the movie was now ready to stream, which is just an incredibly smart marketing ploy and continues to get people excited about Netflix and thinking about Netflix and makes it so that the quality of the movie, which if it came out in traditional theaters would of course be like the most important thing almost become something totally irrelevant and it was it, it became more of a story about the platform and less of a story about the movie which i mean there's just really there's no there's no other example of that there's no parallel to that like this is something totally new i think jason snell mentioned something about this sort of changing the way that we think about advertising during the super bowl or or at least specifically changing the way that we think about movie announcements or post Super Bowl programming. And I, I totally agree with that. Like this this is now the model that I think other streaming services are going to follow. So what does Netflix so what is what is the strategy here? So we like I assume it's not publicly known how much they paid for this already made movie of of <clears throat> of like questionable like critical quality. Um and then I assume Super Bowl ads are still quite expensive, even though ratings have been down. So this seems like a lot of money. What, like, what do what do they get? And then what do you think Netflix hopes to get from like the cons consumers? Since they're not actually selling movies, they're just hoping that you subscribe. So yeah, I, I was thinking a little bit about this in the sense that I don't know if something like this necessarily boosts their subscriber number. And I don't think that that's even the goal i think it's more just about brand awareness and, and getting people excited about netflix like i know that like everybody knows about netflix but i think 
an important goal of the company is is to have people continue to be excited about Netflix. Like they they've entered the stage of like a Coca Cola, um, or like a you know a Pepsi or a Budweiser. Like these companies that where like you you're the you know you're the Kleenex of your of your industry, but it's still important to get people excited about your brand. And I think that's that's what they're trying to do here. It's it's a very in, it's a very it's a very intangible thing that I actually I I don't normally buy into that kind of stuff. Like I I mean you you know you know me Carlos. I'm I'm a numbers guy. Like I I want to <laughs> I want to see I want to see the ROI, you know? But what? I I I want to see the return on investment. I want to see Oh, spre- that's what that stands for. Yeah. I want to see a spreadsheet where it's What does EBITDA mean? <laughs> Where it's, you know, money out and then this is the money that we got in return, or this is the number of new customers that we acquired. Like I, I want I want to see that hard data. But this is actually one of those cases where I'm kind of on board with the idea that, you know, this is just sort of one of those things where we're we're just we're just trying to get people interested in in the in the logo again. Uh, okay. So I, I I reject your premise or I, I disagree <laughs> with so much like the space thing, I, like I, I kind of disagree that Netflix is old enough, or like it, it like I, hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't think post DVD Netflix is to the point where they're just doing generic brand advertising, and that's a thing they need to do, like, hmm, because like I know like Ford, like they just have to advertise in the New York Times just because like they're Ford, and they want people like it's not they're not trying to necessarily sell you a Ford escape. Like they just want you to think, Hey, Detroit Ford. I like, I like America. Like, I don't think Netflix is at that point yet. I don't know. And like, it just, Hmm. It seems like a gutsy experiment, but like, Hmm. Is it worth the, let's say $15 million it costs? Because like, how long was the trailer or the thing that was on? Was it 30 seconds or more? I think the first one was thirty seconds, and then the second one might have only maybe been fifteen. Okay, so I, 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 I think from a few years ago, Super Bowl ads were like one and a half million per thirty seconds. Does that sound the ballpark? Something like that. Yeah. Okay, so, so let's say they spent three million on advertising, and they spent ten million dollars on the movie. Does does that pay off? I don't know. And and hmm, I don't know, like because what what does that teach customers? Like that because they had that. Did you ever watch that Will Smith movie, which was all supposed to not be very good? <laughs> Bright. Uh, no, no, I did not. Because yeah, apparently their whole thing is like they're now making actual movies, and like these are actual movies that could allegedly, when the quality improves, be like things that are Oscar contenders or something like that. And it's just on Netflix. But like, hmm, I- I'm not sure this teaches people to think. Hey, Netflix, actually, it's not just original TV shows now, which there's a new one every four seconds. Um, this is also a place for original movies, too. I don't know. I think it's super interesting, but I think it's I'm, I'm kind of unclear as to its purpose and the ROI. Well, I as think, I th- as I say, right. Uh, <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think where Netflix can, can get away with Bright and they can get away with the Cloverfield Paradox, specifically the quality around those two movies is... They do also put out a lot of exceptionally great original content. It's not like it's if if it was just all bad, that would be a much different conversation. But I think by putting out as much good content as they do, having 
a handful not be all that great is okay. And in fact, in some ways can be weirdly beneficial. Where like in the case of Bright, like Bright was so universally panned by critics and viewers for that matter, that it almost became like one of those things that people had to see for themselves. I mean, I think it became like one of Netflix's, if not their most streamed piece of content, but at least like one of the most streamed pieces of content on the on the platform. Again, just because people were super curious about it. Same goes for, I think, the Cloverfield Paradox, where people were aware of this crazy campaign they did around the Super Bowl. People started talking about the movie and how it wasn't that great, which then I think for some people actually piques their interest. And it just it's, it's things like Bright and it's things like the Cloverfield Paradox that even if the content itself isn't very good, it makes people curious about Netflix and it makes people feel like they want to still be subscribed to Netflix because they want to be a part of the next time Netflix does something like this and the content's actually good. Do you ever envision a time when Netflix sells individual titles? Like within the next three years, do you ever, do you ever think if they, because like the original content in terms of like TV, they've gotten pretty good at that. Like there's a, there's some stuff that's like, there've been a few that they've made that are actually kind of duds or just kind of like people are like, why does this exist? But like the, the stuff that they're putting out is really solid these days. It seems like big budget movies is probably going to be costly. Do you like do you think people will get enough value out of that where eventually they're going to like boil the consumer so that they can get like 17 or 20 dollars a month from them or do you think um they say for the first month this movie is available on Netflix um it's it's an extra 3 bucks like it's it's a in-app subscription purchase or something. Or is it always just instantly free? That's interesting. I mean, I I, I don't know. Um, I, it's possible. I, I guess I would view them just continuing to slowly raise their monthly subscription rate as being the, the more likely thing that they would do. But, I mean, as evidenced by this Super Bowl campaign, Netflix is shown a willingness to just try things. So, so it's possible. Do you think Netflix is Amazon? In the sense, well, not in the original content sense, but in the sense that Wall Street and investors just let them not make money or like target a 0% profit margin and just in hopes of just like reaching some weird scale where it doesn't matter how much money they lose or spend on things. Um, it, it's not quite the same thing. I, with, with Netflix, there's a very specific reason that they're in the financial position they're in, which is they need to be incredibly aggressive with their original content, which, I mean, Disney has become exhibit A of this, which is because of Netflix's size now, they're going to become an untenable partner for most of the major studios because they've now become a direct competitor to those studios. So investing in their original content is, I think, the only way that they're going to survive long term. And they're, I think their investors know that. If, if Netflix were to focus on short-term profits now and not invest in that original content, sure, that might be beneficial today but that's going to put them in a position where when this disney service launches in a couple of years and when other studios decide to pull their content off of netflix i mean they're going to be dead in the water but now because they haven't done that and because they've invested in the in the business and specifically original content they've given themselves a good chance to be able to you know compete three to five years down the road 
or I, I guess what I mean, do they have as much runway as investors have afforded Amazon to spend and spend to try to build up this insurmountable lead? Like, do you think that profitability doesn't matter for a while? Well, I think the the, the huge question is going to be this Disney streaming service and how it does. That, that's going to be the immediate big question, because if that comes out and all of a sudden does extremely well and Netflix's subscriber numbers either flatten or even potentially go down around that same time, I think investors' patience would, would quickly run out. But if that service comes and goes, and if other services like it come out and don't really put that big of a dent into Netflix's business, then that's where I think investors are going to feel like the strategy is continuing to work and continuing to pay off. Okay, so that's actually a fairly solid transition point. Thank you, sir. Um, ESPN Plus. Yeah. Um, so ESPN is releasing a... Can this be a standalone product or do you have to? Because I know to actually get traditional ESPN channels, like this is not their rumored standalone over-the-top service. This is maybe an add-on for your traditional subscription or can you buy this without having cable and just get only access to weird stuff? So the the this is from this 9 to 5 Mac article, which we'll put in the notes, is... Uh, the app will offer three primary functions. For one, you'll be able to get quick access to scores and highlights. The second major feature of the app is live streaming of the regular ESPN networks, such as ESPN and ESPN2. To access these streams, the user will need to be an existing subscriber to ESPN via, quote, traditional or non-traditional methods. So, and I think that covers all of it. Yeah, Um and then finally, they get access to ESPN Plus, which is um, some redesigned application which will offer users access to sporting events that aren't broadcast on the primary ESPN stations. So this is, I guess, finally the incarnation of ESPN the Ocho or something. Um, what? Have you not? Have you never seen Dodgeball? No. Oh, you. Oh, you should absolutely see Dodgeball. Great movie. Um, okay. Jason Bateman's in it. You'd, you'd like it. Uh, I've kind of only ever liked him in the rest of the film. Everything else has been weird. <laughs> I mean, he's not but he's okay. not the main character, but um, okay. so so no. So that this is not this is not ESPN's over the top service. This is a sort of I, I guess I would just sort of describe it like a second screen kind of platform, but. But it also does in, does also actually stream ESPN, so it's. I, I guess I don't know exactly how to describe this. Yeah, it seems weird, just because like if it's if they're just trying to find a way to skim an extra five dollars out of people, like it seems like that's not going to get a very big audience. Like it sounds like in my limited like research that I've done into it, it's that you're basically paying five dollars for a better app. Because I could have sworn, I thought that the, it used to be called ESPN 360, but I think it's all just now under the watch ESPN umbrella. There's like a bunch of stuff that they don't have time for on ESPN, ESPN2, or ESPNU, or any of the other things. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that's like, oh, this is not really going to be televised, but here's stuff you can watch. I thought that already existed. So basically, it kind of sounds like you're paying an extra $5 a month for like a quad view application where you can watch multiple sporting events at once 
and maybe a couple of extra things that aren't on TV. Like, it seems weird because this doesn't feel like an effective way of testing the waters for a true standalone service just because it's so reliant on having ESPN through a different method. So, yeah, I I think I think I you know I, I, upon kind of thinking about this a little bit more, I, I'm not sure I explained this in the best way possible. So there's there's sort of like two things happening. There is a again quoting from this nine to five Mac article, a completely revised and redesigned ESPN app, which is what we know today. And you're exactly right. Where whereas Watch ESPN, which allows you to stream ESPN, ESPN two, ESPN News, all the other ESPN stations, as well as some additional sports that. Um, aren't well. I know actually, no. That's that's not true. It, it it is just it's literally just the ESPN networks that that that's that's now all built into the ESPN app. But now what ESPN Plus is going to allow you to do is um watch sporting events that are not broadcast on the regular ESPN channels. And then also there's going to be I guess some ESPN Plus specific content. Uh, from MLB, the NHL, MLS, tennis, Grand Slam, and college sports. Okay, well, I, I wish them luck, and I'm interested to see what the the real ESPN digital service is going to be. Yeah, I mean, as as someone who watches less and less ESPN, and as somebody who's not really interested in like non mainstream sporting events i think this is definitely not something for me like what i what i go to espn for are like the marquee nba and nfl games that they have like i'm not going to espn to watch cricket or something like that's just that's not what it's not what i'm going to espn for so yeah this just doesn't this doesn't sound like something for me got it okay uh, let's blow through a couple of these real quick. So Slack has updated their, um, emoji library, uh, which is a little bit late, but also, I don't know, my, my, my hot take is Slack is a free, mostly free product for most people. That's generally pretty great. It's weird that since Slack is, or sorry, since emoji has been such like a central part of the Slack experience that it took this long, but I'm happy it's here. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm with you. I mean, Slack is one of my favorite and most used apps throughout most days. But I mean, I think it's despite it being free, I think it's fair to to call them out on on things like this, especially which, as you said, this has become such a central part of their platform that it's kind of crazy that it's lagged as much as it has. So I, I think it's been fair to, to criticize them for it, but it's it's also now fair to say that they've. Uh, plug that hole as you would say never in my life <laughs> uh two other quick things um man i know it's been a kind of a running joke on the show about the whole thirsty diet coke thing but it is literally everywhere so just advertising <laughs> thirsty diet coke <laughs> yeah well again they're 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 after thirsty adventurous millennials we've we, we covered that two episodes ago people people understand this we did but um it's everywhere you got snookered into buying a couple except you did the smart thing um you apparently bought just individual cans instead of investing in like an eight or a 12 pack like i did of two different of two or three different flavors i mean so so after after your raving review last week yeah there was there was no way that i was going to invest in in the eight can packages that you had said you bought um but i i went into to walgreens the other day you know as one does in san francisco 
And during, and this is, ex- this is exactly why they do it. At checkout, I literally just see this stand that's right next to the registers where they've got three of the flavors. It was feisty cherry, twisted mango, and ginger and lime. Not really clear on why ginger and lime doesn't get some cool name like the other two do, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> they had them just in individual cans. And so I thought, oh, this is, this is a perfect opportunity to give them a try. And so the the lady friend and I that night with dinner did a little Diet Coke tasting with the three of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I, they were fine. I mean, they, I, I did not think any of the three were bad. I would say my quick review on each is that the ginger and lime just tasted like regular Diet Coke. I didn't really get any ginger or lime flavor. The feisty cherry tasted just like cherry coke does and i actually really like cherry coke so so that was fine Uh, but i mean but it wasn't anything like different than that i didn't really think Uh, but again that's a good flavor so whatever and then twisted mango i i had probably the lowest expectations on like ginger and lime i actually thought would be really good and was kind of disappointed by it twisted mango i just assumed was going to be awful and it ended up actually being okay. Very much like that artificial syrupy mango flavor, but mm-hmm. um, but not not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. But I mean, <laughs> we each we each had about two sips of each of the three flavors and didn't drink anymore. So, well, first for the ginger and lime, did you did you properly decant it so that the tannins <laughs> could? I I, I I wasn't that wasn't on the can. Uh well that that's a, that's a pro tip for oh, okay. it's, it's only the wineries that tell you the got the, it uh-huh. the bottling factories that tell you that right um what'd you guys pair it with you said we, oh, we paired it we paired it um with a um homemade stuffed hamburger ooh yeah we had, wait hold on I, I'm ooh no more diet coke well which, which was it was it uh, meat or turkey or and what what would stuff it with. We did, we did meat, although we, we sprang for the, you know, 97.3 ground beef. Um, so th- hmm. just, just 3% fat. So, you know, some slightly lower fat content there. And we, we made like really, really small patties. Um, and then we, we stuffed them with goat cheese. Hmm. And they, you know, it came out okay. They came out pretty well. I mean, we, of course, don't have an outdoor grill, which is what you really want when making hamburgers. So that, that kind of limits what you can do. And I'm, I'm really not a big fan of, uh, I mean, we have a grill pan and it, for what it is, it works pretty well, but mm-hmm. you just, you just don't get that same barbecue flavor that you do on an outdoor grill. So that, that, you know, limits again, what you can do, but, um, they came out. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, well, cool. <clears throat> and you also have a very hyper local, um, pro tip for people. Apparently the Marina Safeway takes Apple pay now. This is this was shocking to me because Safeway's been long time a long time holdout of Apple Pay, and yeah, we we went on Saturday night to to get the stuff to to make the hamburgers, and um, they had a big banner on the checkout terminal that said, you know, now accepting Apple Pay, and I of course was like excited about it and <laughs> and pointed it out to the lady friend, and she was like, yeah, okay, great, and. The, the, the she should and the cashier kind of laughed at me a little bit but um i then proceeded to pay with apple pay that was great but then you but you've you've told me that your local safeway way up where you are does, does not apple pay has not made it that far north yet apparently 
Uh, I have been to four Safeways in the past week, and uh, none of them had it. So not not on like a quest to go find it, but just through happenstance. Yeah. Although this, um, so this is strange. So I I just I did some Google searching while we um uh been talking about this, and there's a Apple Insider article from October 2007 titled 17. Thank you. Safeway says Apple Pay rolling out across U.S. stores in October. Grocery chain Safeway has confirmed that it's currently spreading Apple Pay to its 912 U.S. stores, a process it expects expects to last through the month of October. So apparently, it's taken a little longer than that. Um, but I guess I guess this has been a known thing for a little while. But because our locations haven't had it, it's kind of flown under the radar. But now mine does, so that's great. Cool. Um, other follow up. Uh, Mario Kart apparently is coming. Man, do you have the do you have access to the original tweet? Hold on, Mario Kart iOS Twitter fiscal because it was phrased in the world's weirdest way. Where okay, Nintendo America, um, uh, the checkered flag has been raised and the finish line is near. A new mobile application is now in development. Mario Kart Tour exclamation point uh, hashtag Mario Kart Tour releasing in the fiscal year ending march 2019 <laughs> like is this like an investor relations twitter account or do who, who talks like this like i don't mind that they talk like this but that's so weird it it's it's oddly it's oddly phrased for sure especially with something that's consumer facing it'd be one thing yeah. if this was set on an investor call but but this was actually just put out on nintendo of america's public twitter feed <laughs> Which yeah, so kind of kind of strange, um, but 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 fascinating I think because mm-hmm. well because you would have thought that the success of the Switch would maybe have and the limited success of Mario Run or whatever it was called would maybe have them scaling back these types of plans exactly for years when people thought that it would be the time for them to start doing exactly this move where they would put out their marquee platforms on mobile. They didn't do it, but then now when you would think that they wouldn't need to, they are, which I actually think is really, really smart. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't think there's Mm -hmm. any reason in the world why the Switch can't continue to be successful, but then they could also have a successful mobile software business as well. Well, because there's there's no no, no overlap. Right, exactly. That's that's the whole thing where, like, this adds, this is like, to go back to what you said like 20 minutes ago, this is kind of like a brand uh, advertising experiment. Where this creates kind of like a halo effect where people might think, oh, yeah, I love all these first party Nintendo properties. And the thing is, like, Apple doesn't give a shit about making controllers and stuff like that. Playing Mario Kart on your phone is not going to be a great experience. Like, it might be kind of fun in a pinch as a product that's always with you. But, like, then that just might make you think, oh, man, I really want Mario Kart. And, oh, people just love the Switch thing. Let me go get one of those. So, like, it doesn't can like, it doesn't cannibalize Switch sales. And it uh, seems like a pretty smart use of first-party, um, or what, what's it called? Like uh, their own um, unique original IP. Ex- except this comes under different circumstances than what I think uh, you were tepid about, but I was pretty gung-ho about, which was they, they should ditch uh, all hardware and just make iOS games. But hey, it looks like I, both people can be right. Right. All right, so yeah, uh, fiscal year nineteen or end of fiscal year twenty eighteen. Right. Well, and you know the, the the big question, of course, remains what exactly this is going to be because you know Mario 
you know, in, in air quotes, came out on iOS, but wasn't really the Mario that people were looking for. So, you know, we'll we'll see we'll see what uh, what this game ends up being. <laughs> Your Mario is in another castle, <laughs> exactly, uh, or or another platform. <clears throat> um, real quick side note or detour, I, I I'm I'm becoming more and more confused as to what Labo or Labo is. Are you any clearer? Or has it not changed? I, I mean, I don't think it's changed. It's it's cardboard, cardboard cutouts that you put your Switch controllers inside of, and then there's accompanying software that makes those cardboard box objects f- like act like what they're supposed to be mimicking. So is it totally DIY, or is it you get this cardboard kit? No, you get the, somebody you get, says you get, you get the cardboard kit. Oh, but like, is there like one cardboard kit that's like Nintendo Labo fishing, or or yes. is it like a so kit there, that you well, get to build something with? Yeah, there's 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 two different kits to choose from. There's one that's like a robot focused kit, and then there's the other that's like general general kind of stuff, like the fishing and and other things like that. And then the, the in the like ad that they ran for it, there were other cardboard configurations that will presumably come out in some type of add-on packs or something interesting cool well they can put that in the best buys where all the cds used to be that's right nice another nice segue mm-hmm. Actually, i don't think we're, <laughs> we're talking about that but yeah that that's that's actually kind of interesting <clears throat> all but, right but also kind of kind of inevitable right yeah i didn't really actually th- do people still buy cds I, mean, I think they I think they they do and and to a degree always will but probably not to the extent that it makes sense to take up a bunch of floor space at Best Buy. Mm-hmm. Well, but that's the but that's the weird thing where you think if you're buying CDs, you're probably not shopping on Amazon. So, kind of chicken and egg. Yeah, true. Yeah. Okay. And then do you have anything with this there was a you you tossed a network neutrality thing in here which I did not look into. Um, well, so there, there's there's been a move by California and other states to try to implement net neutrality style regulations at the state level. And I just think it, I don't guess I don't really have anything insightful to say, but I just think that it's going to be super interesting to watch how state law is reconciled with federal law. Like I'm just, I'm not, I'm not really even clear on exactly how individual states will be able to to regulate this and, and whether that's even going to be something that's that's allowed it's just it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out like the way the way that i thought about this was if you and i were rewriting our our famous net neutrality paper that paper that we wrote in college like i feel like this is kind of like what we would probably write it about now should we open source that we should probably we probably should yeah yeah for, for posterity mm-hmm. um yeah, the the way I read this was that the way they're going to try to get around it is to just say that the state will not buy any communication services from a company that does not respect net neutrality. And because the state would be such a big communications client, that's their way of getting around the federal law. Which seems good if it would work, but yeah, it's weird that this has to come to the state level. Like I like I mean of all the th- the bullshit that Republicans could say should be a states' rights issue the, the internet sh- that's come on. So yeah, I, again, nothing super 
original or interesting to say now, other than just I think this is something to to really keep an eye on. I mean, this this is going to be, I think, a much more tangible fight than like what the Democrats are continuing to look to push through Congress, which is not which is just not going to go anywhere and is really just symbolic. I mean, it's fine that they're doing it, but it's not going to lead to anything tangible. Whereas I th- I think that this this is potentially where the next step in 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 that movement is. Yeah. Uh, real time sidetrack. Uh, somebody on Twitter posted, uh, "I reserved a Model Three on the first day tonight." Tesla sent me an update that delivery has been delayed by a full year. Come on, uh, at Elon Musk, you had a similar experience, but of course, Darth chimed in. Maybe the Roadster will be back by then. <laughs> that guy, Darth is just uh, Darth is so good. And again, um, and you posted like because Backblaze was posted an unofficial tweet on their company uh, Twitter account saying they were so happy he was back. And and you always cite that he has such an expansive reach, and it's always very very impressive. It it really is, really really is. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, we, I guess we can talk a little bit about this. I got an email minutes before we started recording um that my model 3 reservation had been delayed and then of course i immediately started getting um some texts from another friend of mine who had also pre-ordered his who had just received the same notification and I, he was in the same boat as what you're referring to where he was a day one reservation holder and for the 220 mile version which is the the base level version uh his date was early 2018 and that's now been pushed to uh, late 2018 so yeah so a year a year delay um mine for the the higher end model which is what they're manufacturing first mine went from march to may of this year to uh between june and august of this year which is now all of a sudden problematic for me like the when it's gotten delayed in the past it's actually been a good thing for me personally because as I think, as we've mentioned numerous times on this show, my current lease is up at the end of June. So that kind of March to May window, like I always kind of assumed it would be near the the latter part of that window was, was actually kind of perfect. Uh, but now this new windows, this new window is a problem because I, I don't really think I want to go a period of time without a car. I don't, I, most, most companies offer you an ability to extend the lease for some like I know BMW allowed uh, lease extensions by like six or twelve months. Maybe okay. four months. Yeah, okay. That's or I, maybe that's maybe that's just it's God telling you it's a uh, time to get closer to the edge. So that was immediately what I started thinking about was okay. Well, do I really start giving the 2019 Ford Edge some more um, consideration? But that's not coming out until late summer. <laughs> so that I don't think that's. I don't think that's going to help me either. Well, that you definitely can with, because um, I know almost every manufacturer does this, where if you are ordering a car and you can just put in an order for like a base model thing and they will allow you to continue a month to month lease on your car for as long as it takes to get the new one. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's probably pretty sensible. Um, Yeah, I don't, I, I'm, I mean, this, again, just this literally happened like an hour ago. So, um. I haven't really thought it entirely through, but yeah, it's just kind of, kind of shitty. Just a bad, just a, just a really bad customer experience too. And I mean, yeah, you know, they can, the, but 
is hasn't that always been Tesla's thing? You know, it, like, it, 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 it they... has been, and they, and they, and it you know they can they can get away with it because they're Tesla. But but should they be able to? That's the thing. I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, it's it's it it's been one thing when the Model S and particularly the Model X were delayed because you're you're really talking about very you know niche products that aren't really speaking to a very wide audience. So even if there's a ton of outrage, it's not like that outrage is going to seep into the the public at large. But you know, the Model Three is 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 a car that's got like half a million people on the waiting list and is clearly trying to reach a much broader audience. And if you if you piss off that audience, you're going to really start to build up a lot of, you know, bad will, I think. All right. Last question before we move on. Uh, isn't California ending a lot of their uh, EV incentives? Does this mess with that? Uh, no, California, Jerry Brown's actually been pushing for EV incentives to be increased. So that at the state level, it seems like we're okay. But at the federal level, while the federal credit did make it into one of the last versions of the um, the abysmal tax reform law that went into effect, um, it, it, it gets phased out after Tesla sells a certain number of cars. I think it's like 200,000 or something. Oh, so the production time doesn't actually matter. Okay, that's cool. Uh, well, no, it does because Tesla is continu- continuing to sell Model S's and Model X's, and uh-huh. so the later that you take delivery of your Model Three, the less that that rebate, uh, that federal rebate, um, or I guess it's a credit at the federal level, um, is going to be. So that's an. I mean, that's a, that's another issue where I mean, especially like in my situation where if I did decide to spring for the higher end model, which is the only model that you have the option to get at the outset, you know, the only way that that becomes in any way feasible for me is with the $7,500 federal credit and $2,500 state rebate. If if those get taken out of the equation or get significantly reduced, then that, you know, that model becomes completely kind of out of reach for me. And according to my new delivery estimates, um, the 220 mile version isn't going to be available to me until early 2019, which I mean, that, that completely, you know, takes it out of consideration. So, you know, total first world problems, of course, but, um, but yeah, bummer n- n- yeah, nonetheless, a, um, kind of a, kind of a crappy, crappy situation. Yeah. Okay. On to some main topics. Let's do it. Jeez, an hour, an hour in. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my my goal of trying to get these things under an hour it's is not, 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 it's not, not working. Out. Eh, well, one of these days. Um, okay. Do you want to do Apple stuff or do you want to do camera stuff? Let's do camera stuff. I mean, I, I think we established before we started recording, we're not going to have a ton interesting to say about the Apple earnings stuff. I mean, we'll, we'll get to it a little bit, but um, I've been wanting to hear about your camera and we've been kind of putting it on hold the last few episodes. Yeah, we were we were waiting for a slow week, and I guess this is probably the closest we're going to get to it for a while, because we're in a full iPhone rumor season. <laughs> um, and I'm probably going to need your help trying to kind of flesh this out because I'm still very confused. Um, but there's an article that we've been uh, we've had in notes for a while that we'll get to eventually because um, there's this uh, it was something about like millennial extremism where people are not millennials, but specifically people tend to do more extreme or uh, drastic things when they are approaching uh, like a decade milestone on their age. And no, no, maybe this is that, but um, 
I talked about it a couple of months ago that I ordered an, a Sony A7R three and a um a pack of, or a, a group of lenses for that new full frame camera. Um, that was that was fairly costly because I kind of wanted to double down on photography as a hobby slash side project. Um, and I've lived with it for a couple of months now, and it's um. It's it's a product and a thing that I've had a lot of difficulty summing up where I'm not I know I'm like thinking about myself specifically, but like thinking more broadly, like who is this for? And like should this type of device have like a wider audience? And I'm still kind of unsure about that. Like if you think about it, like I think like differentiation and heading towards like the extremes of something either being super consumer focused with like just generic camera phones or doing fairly inexpensive, but um, like purpose built things like what's, what's the model of that um, rugged camera that you have? The TG Olympus TG five, I think. Yeah. So I think like either everybody is satisfied with their smartphones or since the point and shoot market has totally evaporated in favor of smartphones you have kind of the specialized but still reasonably priced GoPros slash uh, Olympus cameras for that kind of stuff. And then I I assume everybody else just has to go like just super hard at the edges like for professional use stuff cuz I assume like the like the Canon Rebel and like the like entry level cameras probably have to be going by the wayside just cuz I maybe I I don't know, because that, that was your whole thing. Where, right, right. Because you bought it was the Canon SL2? Yep. Yeah, like where you kind of thought, like, well, maybe I should get back into this, but maybe uh, you thought maybe the effort or the difference in output just kind of wasn't worth it. Yeah. Or if anything, I actually think you thought it might be slightly worse than... <laughs> yeah. Right, which I, which, you know, I raised my hand and acknowledged that part of that is probably just me not knowing how to use the camera as well as I should, but but nonetheless putting in all the extra effort that it would have taken to get an output that was only marginally better just didn't really seem worth it. Yeah. So yeah, that's where I think where Sony, like they're in a weird spot because Canon has been resting for quite a while to the point where they like just objectively don't have the edge on image quality anymore. Like they had a really, really mature sensor and lens lineup for a very long time that almost all of the EOS Rebel models had for a while. Uh, but now there's not the best. So it's kind of Nikon, except like Sony has come out of the gate with really, really good cameras at a variety of different price points. So like before I had the Sony a6000, which is still one of the best like if you ever do decide to give this a third try or something that is one of the cheapest and best cameras you could possibly buy um i think how much is it right now it is 420 dollars um it is a interchangeable um mirrorless camera that's small and light has a variety of drawbacks but it's actually very very good for the price but that's also kind of your the image quality is good but you're kind of thinking like why do i actually want that and i guess that's where these higher end professional level cameras come in because like the a7r3 is a fantastic camera but it's also it's $3,200 so it, like that's where I don't know 
who is this for? Because that kind of prices a lot of hobbyists out of the market. So, like, I, I'm trying to figure out, are they just trying to sell to professionals? I mean, I have to think that that's a main focus. But I, I, I do think there's a, like, I think the kind of the, the hobbyist umbrella, it, like, it, that's a pretty, that's a, that's a pretty wide net. I'm, God, I'm <laughs> mixing all kinds of terrible metaphors here, but... Um, don't want to don't want to jump over your skis. <laughs> Is that a real term? I'm pretty sure you taught me that. It, it, it's it's being out over your skis, but cl- close enough. <laughs> Is that what I said? <laughs> sure. Um, um, cool. But no, I, I there's a um, just to to throw in another term or a phrase here. There, there's there's a there's a wide spectrum of <laughs> of geez, where's this going? Uh, hobbyists where. You have, you know, your your more casual hobbyists, but I, I think there's there's a segment that you would be um, considered a part of, which is your more extreme hobbyist is not the right phrase, but you know what I mean. If, if there's one word I'd describe myself as, it, it's extreme. extreme. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Hashtag extreme, no E. Uh, ooh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always with the M-T-N-T-E-W. Or to be um, the the number three instead of the E. Sometimes oh, companies do that. That's the plate I can get from my Model 3 when I get it in 2022. <laughs> yeah. um, I really hope everybody else has their electric car game in order. Like It's got to be. Anyway. Um, ooh, electric Ford Edge. What would you, oh, what would you do? See, I don't actually don't know if we've specifically talked about this part on the show, but... I'm actually not like the the fact that the Model Three is is electric is not the main selling point to me. Well, then why do you care? Wait, I'm like, hmm? isn't isn't that eighty percent of it? Because otherwise, it's it's basically just like a electric Honda Accord with like a kind of a weird interface in the middle. Like having an electric, like having an electric car can be kind of like a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And as someone who you know, even when we eventually move out of the city, is is probably not going to have like a terribly long commute i mean hopefully like gas is not really that big of an issue and like when you when you have an electric car especially when you go on trips like you constantly have to be thinking about okay where where i'm staying does it have a place for me to charge or can i get by with not charging so that's actually not the big appeal i mean autopilot's the big appeal for me uh, but then, yeah, but I assume like, like Audi and a few others in a few years will have like, what is it? Oh, but, stage but, in, five but in a few, stuff. in a few years doesn't help me. Well, but a few years is when your three is going to come out. <laughs> I, I know I'm too, too sorry. Too, what? too soon. <laughs> oh, that, that was sorry. I didn't mean to, to deep, uh, deep twist cut. the knife. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Back to cameras. Um, yeah, I don't know where that, where that came from. Um, yeah, so I like I assume they're that, like Sony just has to like they either they're either gonna do like a mass market like mid range camera which they have in the A sixty three hundred or whatever the current model of that thing is, um, or they're gonna go super high end like the A seven R three or the um sports oriented A nine which is somehow even more expensive at forty five hundred dollars, um, but yeah, I mean overall I would probably say that it's one of the best and most versatile uh full frame cameras that you can buy uh it does exactly what it's designed to do um it's just that for most people uh that's probably not what they're willing to invest in when they think about the fact that the thing in their pocket does 
uh, things like 70% as good in 70% of the situations. But so for you, I, I it's not just the output that's important. Like you're not literally just looking to take a picture on this compared to what you would have gotten on the iPhone and say, oh, yeah, this is definitely better. Like, I mean, sure. That's, sometimes, sometimes it is. Sure. I mean, that's part of it. But it, it's it's the it's it's the process that you're interested in. Yeah, it's 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 like the Thomas Keller approach to food. But no, like it is it is like you, the, I, we talked about this when I think when I was deciding to get the camera. It's like the intentionality of it. Like I have fixed a little bit of that with um and I'll talk about this uh later where like I I have a new messenger bag that I actually really like. Um that is uh that fits a 13-inch MacBook Pro and actually allows me to take the camera everywhere with me. So it's not just like, oh, I've decided I'm going to go walk around for three hours and try to like shoot stuff. I, it's just something that I carry with me. But yeah, like like the intentionality of like having something that is a dedicated device for doing a very particular thing and trying to do it the best you possibly can and being more methodical about how you do it rather than just being like, I'm going to point my iPhone at a thing and hopefully portrait mode algorithms don't blur out the wrong thing. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that still is is a is a worthwhile thing to do, which I think is why it makes sense. Or <laughs> I think that's how I'm justifying it and rationalizing it to myself. I mean, it, it makes it makes sense to me. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, it, it mostly does. So, I mean, so like in terms of like a more detailed review, like specifically the body itself, like it it it's it's a very nice camera. So, in terms of like the actual design of it. Because I have some notes here that I've been trying to flush out. Because I've been thinking about, do I want to do like an actual review of this thing? Like the SL2 that you had was that is that the same size or was that like smaller than your traditional like Rebel? Because I know you had one of those before too. Well, so that the whole the whole conceit of the SL line was that they were um, slightly smaller than the the traditional Canon SLR line that you know the EOS line. Um, or I guess the, the, the TI line, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it it was not a, a bunch smaller. I think it was, I don't know, 20% smaller or something like that. Got it. So, I mean, with, with mirrorless cameras, you do get a smaller body overall. So with this one, like it feels really, really solid with some changes they made to it. Like the, the grip is deeper. Um, and it feels well made and it also feels really dense. Like it's got like the weight of a dying sun or something in it, but like it's continuing on the space theme. Um, but it feels really good. Um, and because of the deeper grip, they've actually improved uh, on what was generally the biggest drawback of almost every Sony camera up to this point is that it has a new battery that's about um, uh, two and a half times larger. So it usually can get about. 800 to 1,000 shots out of it. So even with a heavy day of shooting, it still uh, chugs along, which is pretty good. Uh, like dual uh, dual SD card slots and stuff like that. It's got custom buttons for almost everything, which is cool. Um, so I mean, overall, like the body itself is just like super fast uh, and, and it's like just a really versatile camera. Um, like in terms of like the, like the real stinkers about it, um, one of the things that I really wanted to work well was that it most cameras don't have GPS built in for the obvious reasons, just like that GPS kills a battery. And if it's not GPS that's built into a cell phone, like actual unassisted GPS is really slow. 
Um, so Sony has a thing where you can run an app on your smartphone to share the GPS coordinates as you shoot over Bluetooth to the camera. Uh, but because iOS is so um, uh, background application restrictive, uh, it is really hit or miss, and it's it it works forty percent of the time, which is kind of a bummer because I I do like geotagging the photos. Um, beyond that, like yeah, like it's uh it's really customizable, but like a lot of the software is a little rough around the edges. Um, the native lens lineup of it is is growing and it's nearing completion in terms of like having focal lengths and like different quality compared to like Canon or Nikon and stuff like that. Um. But like almost all the lenses are more costly than their competitors. And that's just kind of like the thing with the entire Sony ecosystem is that it's good, but it's it's probably 40% more expensive than it actually should be. Um oh, and also it um oh well actually let, let me there are some really good features about it. Uh, one of which uh, I really, really like called silent shooting, where because it's not a traditional DSLR where it doesn't actually have a mirror inside of it, it can use uh, just the electronic shutter to capture the image. Uh, but the thing is, it really dislikes uh, Philips Hue lights and any type of LED lights where um, if you're doing um, a quicker uh, shutter speed, uh, if it can't capture an entire refresh cycle of the LED lighting, you get like weird banding on the image. Huh. So that only happens if you're using the electronic shutter. If you use it in normal mode where it actually does make a noise because like the mechanical shutter closes, it, the image is totally fine. But like I was at the museum uh, taking some photos and it is nice to not have the camera make any noise because it's just less disruptive. Um, but yeah, in certain situations where there was LED lighting, that was kind of, it, it, that's kind of weird. Huh. That's, that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, like other cool stuff about it, like uh, they have embraced a touchscreen on the back, except they've done it in a way that a lot of people dislike, but I actually do like, because I think touchscreens are, for the most part, bad on most things like this. Uh, the touchscreen only works to pick a focus point, which actually works really, really well. Uh, in addition, they've also added uh, an autofocus joystick, uh, which allows you to change the focus point when you're using the actual like uh, electronic viewfinder which is a really nice OLED display. Uh, so same black levels as the TV. Um, but yeah, like it's it's super customizable, which I assume is what you'd expect for something uh, like that's targeted at professionals. Um, and they've solved like some really weird, annoying things about most of their higher-end cameras. Like um, this has USB-C on it, and it actually allows you to charge the the big battery inside of it without having to plug into a separate charger, which is cool. Um, and then lastly, it has a back panel autofocus so that you can use a dedicated key so that the shutter button is um, uh, divorced from autofocus functions, which I find fun, but uh, perplexes people if you ever give them the camera. So when you say that the touchscreen only works for focusing, does that mean that you can't use it for menus and everything else? Exactly right. Hmm. Okay. So like a lot of people think that's like, oh, well, that, that's a missed opportunity or that's dumb. Like, but I think because if you use it for menus, then your screen is constantly smudged up. And that just because I've, I've used a bunch of Canon cameras that do have touchscreens on them. Uh, and, and and they make you enter in because of that, they generally will take away a bunch of buttons on the back um, and i found overall that to be way worse so it's a personal preference thing 
Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I um, I actually found the touch interface to be pretty good on the SL2 that I had. That actually was one of the things that I probably most enjoyed about it. But but I mean, you're 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 right in that it's it's definitely not the same kind of touchscreen experience that you're getting from a from an iPhone or something. Yeah, yeah, and and, and to each their own. Yeah. Um. But yeah, just yeah, super super customizable. Four custom buttons on the entire body of the camera. Separate dials for um, aperture uh, aperture size and shutter speed and exposure controls and everything like that. Um, so no, it's that's pretty great. So I think overall, yeah, uh, the pros and like the really neat value add features are way outweigh the drawbacks. But some of the drawbacks are weird, and at that price point, you probably expect there to be very few of those. But overall, yeah, pretty solid. So I, I sent you something in the thing, um, which is from Sony's website, um, from the, the specifically from the A7R3 uh, product page. And one of the things they tout about it is its ability to shoot movies. Mm-hmm. And just like a couple of observations. One is, I just think it's super, super interesting that particularly these high-end DSLR and mirrorless cameras are being used for film. I just mm-hmm. that, that's just that's just fascinating to me and i think opens up high quality filmmaking to an entirely new audience oh yeah um, but then the second thing is the rig that they have, that they have on, on <laughs> this product small page car. well it's it, and also i mean the the lens alone i'm sure is more expensive than the camera and then you add on top of that a really fancy rig system which is also probably incredibly expensive a seemingly high quality microphone and then a, a external uh monitor mm-hmm. you add all that together this is i mean this is probably a 10 to 15 thousand dollar setup but um mm-hmm. but it's still incredibly cool because i mean you think about high-end filmmaking and you you imagine these you know massive massive um video cameras and it's just it's just amazing that we can now have even better uh video quality from these these tiny little uh cameras yeah no like it's really good you can get um i actually don't know if this one supports um 120 frames per second at uh four or 5k video um but no yeah the video mode is super good it's not something that i personally use but it's it is super interesting that yeah dslrs and generally in, and in most cases uh mirrorless cameras perform this a little bit better um yeah, they they do what most like larger cinematic cameras would do, and then taking that to the extreme, um, if you don't care about low light performance, uh, iPhones also take insane 4K video. So the world is weird now. Yeah, the the 4K 4K video on the iPhone is pretty great. I've played around with that in a handful of occasions, and um, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, hopefully in slow mo with dogs. But yeah. Uh, well, yeah, one of them was with a dog. That's right. Oh, you, you can't you can't hoard that video. Yeah, I'll I'll, that. I'll I'll share it with you. Good. Um. So yeah, so good stuff like that. And then quickly, I won't go into too much detail on it. But that so that's half of it. It's the other half is like actually getting the lenses. So that is one of the other things where just kind of because this is a different lens format. Like I didn't have a whole bunch of legacy Canon equipment because back when I kind of quit photography, like in like 2012, I got rid of all that stuff. Um, and I didn't amass a bunch of stuff for that lower end Sony camera. Uh, the lenses are kind of where they get you. <laughs> um, and, uh, that's, um, 
that's where it, you have to be really judicious about what you actually invest in. And you have to be kind of methodical about what focal lengths and, and different aspects of lenses make um, are better suited for what you want to capture. Um, so I ended up uh, settling on a 55 millimeter 1.8 uh, Carl Zeiss lens and a the Sony's new 24 to 105 uh, G f4 lens. And then there's a wide angle 28 millimeter lens in there. So overall, um, yeah, it's pretty good. Put that on the back of the box. The, the cardboard box. Their packaging is very underwhelming. <laughs> it's, it's a, it was a half empty cardboard box. Like the box is gigantic, but this is like filled with like just weird stuff and like uh, paper warranty cards and weird stuff like that. Um, other stuff. Yeah. And I think I talked about this a couple of uh, episodes ago. Um, uh, Lightroom six, since they've gone to a fully, you have to use creative cloud now. Uh, luckily the very, very last update they're ever going to do to the perpetually licensed version of Lightroom is, uh, was supporting, uh, the seven R three and the 24, one Oh five, uh, G lens. Uh, so that's nice. Eventually I will be kind of forced into the creative cloud subscription thing. Uh, but that's cool. And, um, yeah. That is, that is something I was rem- reminded of when I bought that SL2 was that it, the both your operating system and whatever software that you use have to be updated to support raw images from new cameras as they come out, mm-hmm. which I'm not exactly clear on why that is. I thought like raw, raw is, I guess, just not a like standard format. Well, it mostly is. It's that there are like for every lens, um, like ignoring camera bodies for a minute, lenses all have like their share of quirks and uh problems um and like things called chromatic aberrations so you can have lightroom understand what the what basically it needs to do software compensation for on the lens to make it look correct so on like certain wide angle lenses you might have a situation where it kind of looks like everything is kind of um like if you look at straight lines on it they won't look straight because of the way the lens is designed um, so inside the camera, when it's outputting a JPEG, the camera itself will correct that kind of stuff. Um, but Lightroom has to know what, uh, or any type of raw uh, photo editing software needs to know what to do with that kind of stuff. And specifically with the camera profiles, it needs to know um, how to deal with the exposure data and the highlights and resolu- and all that kind of stuff. So um Yes, anything can be read, but uh, for it to perform its best, yeah, software has to be updated for it. And unfortunately, to get native uh, raw support for the A7R3, I would up to have to update to High Sierra, which I'm not going to do. So therefore, the only way I can open those files is if I open them in Lightroom. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the the funny thing was that even with that SL2, uh, Mac OS had not been updated to support it, but but Lightroom had. So yeah, it's exactly the same situation. Which is, it's it's weird to have image files that you can't just natively open on your computer. Yeah, and that is one of the, one pro tip or uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, actually, um, uh, beginner user tip is to uh, almost every camera will allow you to shoot in RAW and also spit out a um, uh, a JPEG sidecar image, and that is definitely something that you should do so that you're never in that situation. Um, and yeah, and I think that's it. And like the last thing is just like kind of, it's weird that there's kind of not a great place to share images these days because the bummer it like, cause that's the thing, like the camera takes really, really good photos. If you, if you get it right, 
And since it's like super high resolution at 42 megapixels, it feels like so much of it is lost on outputting it for like a 1200 pixel Instagram image and nobody uses Flickr anymore. So you kind of don't know where you, where you stick this kind of stuff. I assume Facebook, maybe I don't, I have no idea. I mean, yeah. I mean, Instagram is really the only place that I interact with photos on a regular basis. I guess I wouldn't really know <laughs> what, what, where else you would put them. Yeah. yeah I, can, I can lie and say they were shot on iPhone and hopefully they, Tim gives me a, a Bart ad. <laughs> oh Tim alright but that's it I'll probably have other observations to share as the year goes on but it's been a fun hobby and overall I do not regret the purchase and I appreciate you um, uh, egging me on or yeah or not saving me from myself which you should have <laughs> which makes you a bad person which is why you should buy three Ford Edges oh I'll have a, a, a fleet of Ford Edges to, to, to call back to a much much earlier episode yeah, or or you can do you can um, I think it was Fleet of Corgis actually, but yeah, yeah. you can do a thing where you uh, you you put the the Model Three inside the Ford Edge. Uh huh. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, sponsor break. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you want to talk about the HomePod or the Apple uh, or the Apple or Apple's earnings? We'll talk about both briefly. But which which you want to do first? Neither. <laughs> uh, well, so you hold on, HomePod. Okay. Because Joanna Stern is. The, her and Darth are the only good things about this year. Because uh, people should go watch her Wall Street Journal video review of the HomePod, which is fantastic, and also kind of confirmed everything everybody already thought about the HomePod, but did it in a really fun and unique way. Although she called it the Sesame Seed Bagel of Smart Assistants, uh, meaning it was the worst, even though that's uh, inverted and Sesame Seed Bagels are the best. Mm, they're okay. They're pretty great. Don't tell me you like the chocolate chip bagels or raisin bagels. Chocolate chip, no raisin in the right circumstance. That that's not a that's not <laughs> what's, a. What's, what's the right circumstance? I, oh, no, I'm curious. Just when you're when you're in the mood for like a sweeter breakfast, but like a like your your go to bagel is not going to be a cinnamon raisin bagel. So that's not a it's not an everyday bagel, as you would say. Sure. Uh, okay, but yeah, that, that was that was that was a really good video review, and the, every, all of her reviews are fantastic. Um, but yeah, HomePod is out. Wait, like, is it in the public's hands yet, or does uh, it come out Friday? Friday. Okay, so but the review embargo fell, and it was you actually got to be hands on with it, and you weren't listening to Hotel California in a room where you can't actually give Siri any commands. Um, and it's kind of what everybody thought it was, which is um the sorry the the apple apologists or the people who are very pro apple um are pushing insanely hard on the fact that apple never said it was going to be a good smart assistant which is true um it's it's more that it should be and it's not um but yeah apparently it sounds amazing which i mean i'm sure it does and that's that's cool unfortunately it's super limited into where it can receive audio from which kind of negates the fact that it sounds good. So, I mean, that's that's kind of weird. Uh, but yeah, apparently Siri is just as limited as it would be, uh, or as it is on your phone. And even some of the stuff that it's supposed to kind of link into your iPhone for, um, you can't ask it to make calls. Um, it doesn't uh, recognize separate voices. There's a whole bunch of stuff that it just doesn't do, which is kind of kind of weird. But apparently everybody's just like, uh, we can't fault Apple because they didn't say it was going to be good. Well, I mean, I think some of the reviews have have rightly called the product out for 
basically just being a good speaker and not really being good at anything else. So I, mean, I, th- I think that's out there, but, but I, yeah, I, I mean, there definitely is a, another view that's like, well, this is like the best sounding speaker you could possibly buy for $350, which I, I guess is, is probably true. But as we've said time and time again, means absolutely nothing to someone like me. So, um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing at all surprising about the product. It is, it's literally, I feel like the reviews that we've read, we could have written before it even came out. Yeah. So it seems like it, like it was just a whole bunch of confirming suspicions or confirming what, what people already thought of it, which, which is, I mean, like I'm, it's cool. And I, and I, I really do hope and want it to be that this is kind of a, like a placeholder product or, or it's kind of like a. Maybe it's kind of like the original Echo, although I think the Echo was more full-featured at the start, where it just gets way better over time, but just based off of how Siri has progressed since iOS 7 or whenever it was released, uh, hopes and expectations for that are probably fairly low. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all about what you're looking for. If you're looking for the smart home stuff and just like a general voice assistant, I mean, yeah, I just I just don't think Siri's ever going to get to where... Uh, the lady in a can is or where google home is there's just there's just no evidence to suggest that apple's gonna catch up to either amazon or google so you just if you you have you have to be someone who really wants a great sounding speaker and who's pretty committed to the apple music ecosystem for this product to make sense for you and if you're not then it just doesn't make any sense like it would be it would be insane for someone like me, even who's like generally obviously like pretty into the Apple ecosystem, but like even for me who puts the voice assistant and smart home stuff first and foremost, and who's not an Apple Music subscriber, like the HomePod would make zero sense for me and would actually be a huge step back compared to um, the Echo. So do you think there's enough customers who place such a high premium on audio quality and haven't found a solution elsewhere no i don't hmm. do you think this is a one and done product no, like do you th- no. like again the, the jokes are there but like is this the new ipod hi-fi or do they just keep quietly making it i think they i think they keep making it and i and i do think they keep trying to make siri better because it's i i it, it obviously nothing's set in stone yet, but I do think that these smart voice assistants are like a pretty important technology category, and they're really becoming kind of an integral feature for lots of other hardware, specifically smart home stuff, which is I think just going to continue to become more popular and a bigger part of just general tech interest. So. It's 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 a product category that Apple's got to be a part of. So I don't I don't I don't think they can afford to just come out with version one of the HomePod and then decide to scrap it. Like I think they have to stick with it. But are they actually a part of that market? If it's not competitive, no. I mean, I think they have to come out with a less audio focused version that's more focused on people who want the smart home stuff. But they, but they can't they can't do that now because Siri sucks. I mean, if they came out with a product that was Siri focused. I mean, that would be a disaster because Siri's just not good. So they they have to they have to improve Siri before they they come out with a product where 
you know, series front and center. Hmm. Do you think there's a chance that's iOS 12 or probably not? I don't think it's that soon. I mean, Siri's been bad for how many years now? I mean, what, what was what was version one of Siri? 2011? 2010? iOS 6 came out. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been bad for six years now. I don't, I don't think there's reason to believe it's going to turn around in the next year. I mean, I, over, over time, I think it might, but it's going to it's, it's be a while. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh, do, do you think there's a chance to, uh, uh, Trump would take uh, take credit for Siri being good again? Make Siri great again? Oh, totally. Yeah, no yeah. no question. Yeah. Safest year of air travel ever. That's right. That's right. Um, all right. And I will let you do almost all this. Apple earnings? Um. Well, I, I mean, it, it was their biggest quarter ever, both in terms of revenue and profit. So, I mean, there's that. But I mean, I, th- I think the only interesting thing to really talk about here are the iPhone numbers, where the iPhone actually year over year was down, which is not something that we've seen kind of since the whole like post iPhone 6 boom kind of eventually corrected itself over the next, you know, after the, the 12 months preceding that where, you know, sales had been huge for the iPhone 6 and then kind of trailed off this. Since then, things had kind of turned around. But now we're back in a state where iPhone sales were down slightly year over year. Although, I mean, you're talking about a 14-week quarter versus 13, so there's that. Um, and then, of course, you're talking about higher um, average selling price for each iPhone, which means that contrary to a lot of stories that had come out prior to earnings, it seems like the iPhone 10 specifically is doing just fine. But it is definitely the most notable thing in the earnings report is that Apple had their best quarter ever, despite the fact that, at best, iPhone sales are are basically flat year over year. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fair. Yeah, like with with the ASP going up, I think Apple got what they wanted. Um, yeah, it is it is a little bit strange that that sales have plateaued, and and not that you'd fault them for not calling themselves out, but it is weird that kind of that they they are opportunistic with choosing when to stress that. Um, there was extra selling time in the financial calendar, but um, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a good quarter overall. Can't can't fault them. They're they're still t- making tons of money. Um, but even if you look at like the law of large numbers and that kind of stuff, it's it does seem like growth of the iPhone kind of eventually has to reach a ceiling, for the most part, and it maybe has come soon, or like I don't th- I don't think it's totally there yet, but it is stabilizing. Sure, which I mean, it it had to. I mm-hmm. mean, it just it just it just had to. Um, and I, I I think it's it's probably fair to say that there's never going to be another big boom like there was with the iPhone six. Just because I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, there there were two things that happened. One is they tapped into by far and away the number one feature that people wanted that the iPhone didn't previously have, which is that bigger screen size. And they 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 caught the market at a time where I mean the smartphone market was certainly creeping towards that mature status, but maybe not quite there yet. So Apple, you know, trying to recreate that, I just don't think is going to happen. I just don't think there's a feature like a bigger screen size, um, and the the market's just way more mature now. So going into any sort of new iPhone cycle with that being the standard is just a, a fool's errand. I think. 
Yeah. Hey, quicker than we thought. Yeah. All right. Jump to picks of the week, or do you have anything that's uh, pressing for you? Um, or sorry, chef special. Um. Yeah, you gotta 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 get that right. Gotta keep um, it on brand. I guess the the only other maybe the only other topic which we can kind of close out on is is which I don't think we've actually hit on yet, um, which is the Amazon HQ two stuff. Have, have you been following this? I kind of because because that's oh a super weird subject where because like there was a bunch of really um, shallow media reporting where it's like hey look at all this wacky stuff that these cities are doing to court Amazon, but when you actually think about the actual what's going on, um, it is more interesting than that. So yeah, so a little bit. I mean, I, I think my big thing is I'm I'm really I'm really torn about cities putting the types of efforts that they are into trying to get Amazon to select them, and and specifically what I'm really talking about are some of the tax breaks and other incentives that these cities have offered. And this SF Gate article, which we'll put in the note notes, you know, makes the point that you know these are like some pretty progressive cities that are kind of following the conservative playbook when it comes to tax incentives for business which just makes me really uncomfortable um and i just i'm i i I tend to be a little skeptical that like like for like twitter is is one of the quintessential examples of this right like san francisco provided twitter with all kinds of tax incentives to locate in downtown san francisco and I like I I I struggle to really feel like that's been a a net benefit for the city. I, okay, so I I would push back a little bit because the whole point, like it wasn't that they wanted Twitter to be in San Francisco or downtown San Francisco. The point was that they wanted to push them or they wanted them to settle into mid market, which is not a desirable neighborhood, to hopefully gentrify is the wrong word, but to revitalize that neighborhood. In a lot of, a lot of ways, I think it actually has. The, the question of whether or not it would have anyway through a general tech boom is the part that maybe you can debate more. But I think most but of it is, was- But that, I don't know. But is, is building a bunch of luxury apartments and condos in the area directly nearby that really only the people who work at Twitter or companies similar to it can afford? Like, Is that, is that really- is that is that really in the best interest of the city? I I struggle to say that I think it's something, only because, yeah, the, just that part of Soma and like the mid market area, like it's 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 rough. It's it's, so, and it's 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 and it's it's rough in the way that, I mean, crime is still high. There's still a lot of homelessness, and you have all these run down buildings and complexes and then sort of like sprinkled throughout again you have these ultra high-end condo and apartment complexes and that's that's really all that's been added in this post twitter era to that area and so i mean i i get i get like the the theory behind it but i'm just not really sure it's pan out in practice like i i would sort of compare it to the b- building a stadium in a city and having the having the taxpayers fund that like there's this argument that we're gonna we're gonna build the stadium with taxpayer money and we're gonna do that because we're gonna bring the stadium in and it's gonna bring in all these jobs and revitalize the area around the stadium or the arena and there's just very few examples of where that actually works 
I feel like like Twitter Twitter's kind of a, a, an example of it on the 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 business side and I I kind of feel like this Amazon HQ stuff is just going to be the same thing in a in a in a different city. Yeah, you're you're totally right that the Twitter example is complicated. Um luckily San Francisco has a new mayor that's also a legend that was a either is or was a VC. So that's that's going to work out great. Uh but for the Amazon stuff um, in the show notes, please put the, cause you, there was an SF gate article that you put in here. Uh, so throw that in there, but also there's an article that I linked to about, um, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, which is, uh, when Amazon warehouses, um, settle into poorer areas that were already facing high unemployment and just kind of, uh, it's actually a very good deep dive into, and that's very even handed from showing the, the, the pro business Amazon perspective and what the actual, uh, maybe uh, what the actual employee sees and also what uh, uh, pessimistic or or unhappy employees see. Because, um, yeah, it goes both ways where you think or like Amazon or any company that says like they're going to settle into this area and they're going to bring jobs. It, it is a question of whether or not they're actually bringing better jobs or and like does their presence actually end up being a net benefit? Where I think with the distribution centers, that's um, maybe you're, maybe easier to quantify. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum is is the HQ two stuff, where there's a bunch of tax breaks being offered to create um, a certain number of high skilled jobs that will probably only cause like just people to migrate around. Like it's the whole point. It's like the whole thing of where like even Trump says like that like he wants states to compete for different like companies to locate there, which on a national level, is that actually a net positive and is that productive behavior? So is throwing a bunch of tax incentives at a corporation to locate in your state, like is that actually creating the jobs that you want? And does that actually deliver a positive ROI um, and more tax revenue to the to the cities and the states and with all these weird carve outs and, and tax giveaways probably not right i mean that's like, exactly that like that's what i'm that's what i'm really skeptical of yeah it's it's weird man um yeah i i think somebody should read both of these articles because it it's just so weirdly opposite and also so exactly the same Oof. um yeah so people should check that out and both both articles are in the notes. Yep. Um, Chef special. Yeah, go for it. Uh, so I have a um, <laughs> a pick that I think is appropriate given everything that's happened uh, with the the stock market in the last week. Um, and they they are uh, they are not a sponsor, although they a should. Mattress. They. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Let's see what you did there. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, they, so they, these folks are not a sponsor, although they they do sponsor podcasts. So it's a shame on them for not sponsoring. Um, but uh, Wealthfront, um, been using them for like a little over a year now, I guess. Um, and I've been really really happy. I mean, it's <laughs> part of it's probably been because I I started investing them with them as the market's been doing well, so that you know that that certainly helps but i mean beyond just the the roi as you know as, as again as i like to say um they're 
their fees are incredibly low, which is, which are great. They have a tremendous iOS app and a really nice web interface. Very, very neatly and clearly shows you uh, what you're invested in. You have lots of different investment options. Um, and, you know, as, as someone who's been sort of um, <laughs> bitten by individual stocks and kind of like individual investments in the past, like I, I, I am sort of a believer in this more kind of like diversified approach to investing. And so, you know, you put all that together, the low fees, the many investment options and the clean interface. And, you know, I think Wealthfront's a, Wealthfront's a really, a really good option. Uh, what do you have your uh, risk tolerance set at? I have it set pretty high now. Ooh. Yeah. Which, but again, when you're diversifying the way they do, I mean, you are taking on a higher risk profile, but certainly less risk than just investing in individual stocks. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, they they seem pretty solid. Um, Yeah. They haven't run away with my money yet, so that's good. And I did, you know, I, I did sort of, I got an email from them yesterday, and I did poke fun at it a little bit in the thing, but I actually do sort of in, I appreciate that they, you know, they reach out in a very sort of human way and just say, hey, you know, these these market dips this is this is what happens this 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 history repeats itself over and over again with these things like we have a longer term vision towards investing and so you kind of just have to you know let these little um, daily blips kind of go <laughs> sorry I, I i was doing a search in my email because because they send that out every time there's like a four percent negative move in the in <laughs> right. the stock market right uh here's one from january 22nd 2016 uh, finding less money than you put into your account can always be a rude shock. <laughs> See, they're, they're good about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can take advantage of tax, tax loss harvesting. Um, yeah, they're good. Have you, did you, when you went, uh, with them, did you do any, uh, checking out like a betterment or cause like there's a, like, you know, with like this kind of thing, there's always like four people doing the same thing. Did you check out Betterment or whoever the other people are? I haven't. No, I, I Wealthfront was kind of the first one that um, had caught my attention, and so I ended up just going with them. And, and because I've been happy with them, I haven't, um, I haven't really looked at alternatives. Good. Uh, and they've got a dog on their homepage, so they're the, they're the entire package. Yeah, there you go. Um, eh, why not? Let's let's, uh, let's we'll we'll promote this. So I, I will push this quasi pick of the or quasi chef special onto a true chef special. Uh, so this is going to be the peak design um, everyday messenger uh, for the 13 inch MacBook Pro. Oh, send send me a link to this. Uh, it is, and it also comes in a backpack if that's more your thing. Uh, there we go. So this is the one that I asked you feedback about where I uh, didn't know what color to get. And I ended up going for the Indiana Jones one because I didn't want to look like uh, just every other uh, person toting their laptop to and from work. Um, it's a laptop messenger bag that is designed for photographers where it's got a really nice magnetic latch. Um, it's got super strongly padded internal compartments that are adjustable that allow for me, I usually will carry a small mini tripod the A7R3 with a, a like a medium-sized lens um, and then one or two other prime lenses. And that all fits 
along with a secondary work phone, a 13-inch laptop, and a few other things, uh, all really well. So I think th- this is like I'm st- I'm not 100% happy with it, but I don't think I ever possibly could be. But I think for somebody who wants a laptop bag that could hold a camera or something uh delicate, uh this is probably the best you're going to find. It's a it's a nice nice looking bag. I'm actually I, you know, I am more of a backpack person. And so I'm look I'm looking at the the backpack and they're they're pretty pretty sharp. Yeah, and they've got a they've got a store in Hayes Valley now, so you can go pop in and take a look at them. That's um, like the people. Have you noticed that? Not to fucking everything's in Hayes Valley. I yeah. I was just there. Literally everything. I was just there um, last Friday, uh, meeting up with some some friends, and as I got out of my Uber, literally on the other side of the street was an away store, like an away oh, physical God. store, and and I was like, what? And like they've they've got the Warby Parker there. They like they've got they've got everything. Every all your online stores are, are there. Yeah, it's it's the it's the internet in human form, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Um. Oh, these are. Uh, I. I. You need. You need to scroll down a little bit on the page here to uh, see the price. And the, at least the, the backpacks are pretty pricey. Eh, kind of. Um. I don't know because it seems like I. I've been super used to uh, Timbuktu bags, and for a nice-ish Timbuktu bag, like my old um, waxed canvas and leather one was like a hundred and eighty. So it's 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 in the ballpark, but yeah, it is because it's for a more niche audience. I think it's probably um, yeah, it's 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 priced appropriately. And so these and they, so these don't really these don't make sense if you're not looking to carry a camera around. It doesn't seem. I think they do. No, because I I've um, uh, CGP Gray, the guy who does a show with Mike on Relay. Um, he has the same, he's got the backpack version of this. Um, I just found out when I was listening today, um, and he really likes it and he does not take photos at all. Apparently it's just a good, uh, adaptable backpack. So yeah, who knows? So what do you, I mean, so what do you do with, I'm trying to understand like, like how the camera storage works. Like, does, is this all just like Velcro compartments that you would just take out? Let me, I think I posted a picture of it too. Uh, oh, uh, so while I'm looking this up, um, the one thing I do like on the sides is it's tough to see, uh, but there's two small little discrete pockets on either side of them. Uh, and one of them is a dedicated, um, AirPod pocket and it's actually very, very convenient. Yeah, that's, that's pretty great. Here we go. Got too many windows open. There we go. So yeah, so those, those little, those little compartments that I'm looking at here, those just pop out, I guess. Yeah, so they're velcroed in and they're kind of origami style, so you can um kind of fold them into themselves. So if you want to like stack two lenses on top of each other or create a more secure pocket for something. Yeah, okay. That, that's that's pretty neat. And this, so this this solves your kind of big issue which you haven't really found a good bag that uh works for both your laptop and your camera. It's been kind of one or the other. Exactly. And with this, I've been able to take both with me almost everywhere uh without issue. Right. Yeah, sharp, sharp looking bag. Thanks. All right, I think that's it. Another oh <laughs> oh oh well. sorry. Uh, one one last thing. Um, they also have something that fixes a huge problem on this camera. That uh, which is let me send you this. Uh, they make these super 
uh, convenient quick release little things that you because on every camera you have those little things where you attach the um like neck strap if that's something that you want to do and i generally go without but they have these little snap in things uh that go on the camera that make it super super easy they make it a snap uh to get a nice um neck or wrist strap uh on and off the camera very easily i so even though yeah yeah 80 percent of the time i prefer to go without uh but it's 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 very nice i bought uh i bought something similar for that um the waterproof camera that i have actually mm-hmm. I, I had bought it for the model that i had previous to that where so that, that the camera doesn't float on its own but mm-hmm. um you can buy these little um attachments that allow the camera to float these little like buoys <laughs> um but a, but a benefit to that was they so th- those snap on and off in a very similar way that that this um, little add-on allows your um, neck strap to, uh, but the the little buoy thing that I bought also came with a um, wrist strap that also kind of popped on and off. Yeah, uh, which yeah, super super convenient when you're looking to uh, put the camera away in a bag where or like a little pouch where it, it might be kind of awkward to keep the strap on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Yep. I wonder if there's an Hermes version. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And it would be like one hundred and seventy-five dollars. 